Hey guys, good morning. Thanks for uh, coming to worship on uh, the cultural holiday of Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, I know you have, yeah, <laughs> we got some plans to uh, to celebrate, and uh, we got some special elements of uh, chips and salsa and things like that to partake in later. So thanks for being here. Uh, in all seriousness, just want to, uh, again, my name is Tad Anderson, I'm the lead teaching pastor here at Mosaic Church. Uh, seriously, it is my privilege to be here before you this morning, uh, bringing the Word of God. Before I do that, uh, just a few uh, announcements, as Amy, my, my wife, indicated that I said, just welcome, and I'll get to take care of these other things. Um, we did last uh, Sunday, after the service, have uh, our, our big partner meeting uh, for the beginning of the year. We did that every year of our um, we, we, I, on behalf of the elders, really cast our, our vision for 2023, which uh, every year we have a, a, just a vision focus, and this year it is growth. And so we presented um, some, some five-year goals related to baptisms, and membership, and uh, participation, and worship, and discipleship, service, and generosity. Um, so really, all the main things, right? Not, not anything crazy, but if you, if you missed that meeting, I'd be glad to uh, get you the copies of the documents that uh, you would have received, and I would be happy to spend some time answering any questions that you might have on those things. Uh, the biggest thing that you might have questions about if you were not here for that meeting would be the fact uh, that we did put forward a big announcement. Our uh, elders and our leadership uh, announced that we, we are moving towards, Lord willing, uh, a name change for Mosaic Church. And so uh, we, we had quite an extensive, uh, hour-long rationale uh, and backstory with truly, truly, I tell you, uh, years of thought and prayer and seeking the Lord's will, which we tried to capture uh, in that partner meeting last Sunday. And so if you'd like to hear the abbreviated version, catch me after service, and I'd be glad to, or I'd be just glad to grab coffee with you or something like that. But uh, our hope is to change uh, the name of Mosaic to the Hub City Church. Uh, we, we are a church in the Hub City, and so that's really, uh, that's it. So uh, we really like that name, and it's, it's location-based, it's clear, so... Um, we opened the vote this past Wednesday, and we're seeing a, just a super positive, uh, nearly unanimous vote so far. <laughs> just a few uh, folks needing some more clarity. Um, over half of our partners have voted uh, in affirmation of this. And so if you are a partner and you've not yet cast your vote, just a reminder that we are uh, actively tallying and looking to get as many votes in as we can before we move ahead. We want to move ahead and things like this only need to be okay. So um, if you're a partner here, uh, you should have received a text, uh, an email, uh, an app thing, you know, it's kind of like, you know, hey, your car's just through the warranty. Um, so anyway, <laughs> we're trying to get a hold of you. So anyway, please vote. Uh, or like I said, if you need more clarity before you vote, we totally understand. Watch the video on the loop. We want to help you get there. So please uh, reach out to us. So if possible, we'd like this vote to take no longer than a week, um, as that's hopefully sufficient time for everyone to pray, uh, seek the Lord, and uh, seek any clarity you might need. Okay. Um, as promised, we have put out a spring schedule um, this week, and so it's got several things on it you might be wondering about. Several have asked me about membership uh, with Mosaic, and so if you are uh, someone or a family who's interested in uh, making Mosaic your home church, we'll have what we'll call a Partner Up Sunday on uh, February 26th. That's two Sundays from today. And so we'll, we'll run through all of our vision documents, our, our structure, kind of how we do church, which many of you already know already because you've been here a while. Um, but we'll run through that, let you ask any questions, and um, that'll be kind of the first step. And then past that, we, we are a church 
who, who believes in meaningful membership, right? So we uh, we, we call our membership covenant uh, covenant membership. Uh, we do believe that uh, when you join a church, it's not like a Sam's Club membership, okay? Like uh, pay twenty dollars and you can publish your church. No, it's it's a two way relationship between the church and, and you. So um, we, we really like to make that meaningful. That's that's the second step is the. Uh, the membership covenant that we have after this this uh, partner up Sunday, and after that you can sign up. You can join if you'd like to do that. We'd love to have you uh, as a part of this family. The, the next thing is the uh, hospitality team orientation. If you would like to serve on our hospitality team, that is a super important team to us. It's, it's a team where we make a lot of connections with new folks who are beginning to to join us. And so, if you want to be a part of that, uh, we would love for you to. You can talk to my wife Amy. She is the current leader of that team. And uh, that will be on the 5th of March. You can um, jump into that orientation and get started there. Also, to folks have asked about child dedications, we'll have some of those coming up. Uh, we don't baptize babies, but we do dedicate them to the Lord and commit with families uh, who want to raise their children in the love and admonition of the Lord. So that'll be on March 12th. And then we've got Easter stuff, right? Every year we do a big Easter outreach in the park. We'll communicate more about that as it, as it comes. And obviously, we'll have service on Easter Sunday. Uh, and we'll do lunch in the backyard as we always do. So anyway, that's kind of just so you know, kind of an idea of where we're going in the spring. We've got some things coming up we're planning. So just be looking out on the app and, um, and uh, social media for more details on those things. We'll try to update you as necessary in service. Um, just also want to hit, uh, hey, if this uh, rename vote goes positive, which we don't think it is going that way, um, we'll have a whole nother schedule, okay? It'll be kind of like um, the, kind of the, the rename, rebrand, work schedule. There'll be a lot of stuff we got to do around the building to get things uh, flipped over, and so uh, you'll be looking for that as well. Lord willing. All right, we are continuing on today uh, in our new teaching series, Get Wisdom, in the book of Proverbs. In January, we had a vision series in the New Testament book of Acts called What Now, uh, and focused on Jesus' mission and the, kind of the physical and numeric growth of the church. So for the next few months in Proverbs, we're focusing on the other side of the coin, our internal spiritual growth, because uh, to be clear, we do desire both. Mosaic uh, has never been a church that only cares about numbers. We believe the biblical principle that uh, inward spiritual health of a church will be reflected in outward focus on mission or just reaching more people for Christ, right? Uh, and last week we discussed the kind of the, just the literary context, if you will, of Proverbs. So if you missed that, you can go back and, and check it out because it's meant to help you understand why we are teaching in Proverbs and why we're teaching it the way that we're teaching it. Um, uh, I also labored to define wisdom last week for us. We gave wisdom a, a simple definition by saying uh, wisdom is not merely knowing what to do, it's understanding kind of the, the intricacies of how to do it in matters of everyday life. Um, being wise is possessing good judgment, spiritual insights, and a biblical mindset. So if that sounds good to you, then Proverbs is really a good place for you to dig in. And hopefully the series will kind of uh, whet your appetite, so to speak, to that end, to digging into Scripture and seeing what God has to say for your life. So uh, anyway, as always, let's go ahead and let's begin with prayer before we jump into the work. Well, Father, as always, God, we, we love you and are so humble and thankful above all 
for Jesus, how he saves us, redeems us, sanctifies us, and has allowed us to be a part of your family and a part of your mission and ministry of reconciliation. God, thank you for that gospel. May it always be the central message and the central focus of all that we say and do as a church family. And Lord, now as we open your word, please give us ears to hear the words that you have spoken to us for our flourishing. God, we, we need you. We need you. And we need your wisdom in order to live our often convoluted lives in a way that glorifies you and honors and, and serves others. And so as we discuss uh, the, the flip side of wisdom today, folly, Lord, please be with me. Help me to say all that you would have me to say for the upbuilding of these men and women, for their exhortation and for their edification. And might we all be wiser for the scriptures that we'll consider deeply this morning. So Jesus, beautiful name, amen. There once was a man who had done very well for himself in a financial sense. I'm not sure of his profession, but whatever it was, the Lord had mightily helped him and been incredibly gracious to bless him with a great abundance of resources. And at a certain point in his life, after he had accomplished and acquired so much, he, he felt that he was outgrowing his current living situation. It was uh, time to construct his forever home and to uh, upgrade, right, as the culture calls it nowadays. And so he started devising plans for uh, his bigger and better early retirement, where he fully intended on kicking back and enjoying himself and the fruit of his labor. Kind of the, uh, kind of the, the, the Dave Ramsey mentality, right? Uh, uh, he lived like no one else so that he could live like no one else, um, right? And he had built substantial wealth. And now he was going to take advantage of that and frankly uh, do whatever he wanted. Um, because in, in his mind and in the eyes of the world, he had earned it. Well, just as everything was kind of falling into place there, he went to bed one night looking forward to his picture-perfect future, and he was startled awake, um, startled awake by the sudden intervention of God, who had something to fill him in on. While all seemed to be going swimmingly for the man, God clearly had a different perspective because uh, he called this very successful man a fool, and explain to him that on that very night, his earthly life was actually coming to a very uh, unexpected end. And God said to him, tonight, you are going to be assessed not by your earthly possessions, but by the state of your soul. And unfortunately, all of the great stuff that you had lined up, well, uh, I guess your family's going to have to have an estate sale because you won't be taking it with you where you go. If this story sounds familiar, that's because I didn't come up with it. Jesus did. It's a parable that he tells in Luke chapter 12, 
And it's commonly taught from the angle of finances and making sure that regardless of what level of wealth you may have, that you consider uh, yourself a, a generous steward of the resources from God uh, that he's given you for his, for his will, and, and not be like a selfish person who mistakenly presumes that all of what they have belongs to them alone. But you know, there's a more general lesson to this story that it doesn't deal with just finances, but just with the way that we approach life. Last week, in order to define wisdom, we used uh, Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 6, uh, but in, in verse 7, we see that Solomon makes a very strong assertion about the antithesis of wisdom. Here's what he says. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And what you'll see as you read through Proverbs is that not only does Solomon labor to explain what uh, wisdom and, and prudent living look like, but in a striking parallel, he also gives great attention to what foolishness or folly looks like. And, and in uh, just kind of an illustrative sense, uh, if wisdom is kind of this, this bright white object in the foreground, then folly is like the pitch black background that helps define wisdom with an even greater clarity because you can see the, the contrast between them. In verse 7, Solomon says that the fear of the Lord is really the key to growing in wisdom. And if you've read Proverbs, you'll know uh, that's, that theme is repeated time and again. We're going to drill down on the fear of the Lord next week, but what we see in verse 7 is that the difference between fearing the Lord and being a fool is a contempt for being told that you need wisdom and a brushing off of any instruction that might be given to that end. Uh, Psalm 14.1 says it in an even more pointed way. Psalm 14.1 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now, nowhere in the story that I told you about the parabolic man in Luke 12, did I tell you that he didn't believe in God. Right? That said, I also didn't tell you that he gave any acknowledgement to God at all. And from my study of that text, I preached it four years ago or so in the context of Luke, I think this is Jesus' point. That God calls this man a fool, not because he's necessarily like this hardened, aggressive atheist, but because he lived his life in a culturally common form of practical atheism. And that he, he didn't think about what he did in light of who God was. It just did not occur to him. And so I would put forward that this is the heart of folly or foolish living. Folly is the opposite of wisdom. It's, and it's, it's produced out of a refusal 
to genuinely seek and submit to God. Folly is the opposite of wisdom. It's produced out of a refusal to genuinely seek and submit to God. Now, last week, we, we made an observation about King Solomon when he asked God for wisdom. Do you remember what that was? What did we say about Solomon? We said Solomon was humble, right? Do you remember that? We said Solomon was humble. He was the king of Israel, and, um, and in 1 Kings, you know, we read about the situation. He's the son of the, the most beloved king of all, King David, and and God basically uh, approaches Solomon and gives him a blank check, right? He said, hey, whatever it is you want, Solomon, tell me so I can give it to you. And as a king, surely the desire for military success and, and riches and prestige, those would be strong inclinations for a king, right? But Solomon says, Lord, I know nothing about how to be a king who rules and reigns in a way that honors you. And so if you give me anything, just give me wisdom, please, because I need help. You see, true wisdom, true wisdom is enmeshed with human wisdom. True wisdom is enmeshed with humility, particularly humility before God that expresses itself in a genuine seeking and a genuine submission to Him. Now, I hope you know that when I write these sermon points in your outline, that I, I don't write them haphazardly, just kind of stringing as many uh, bible words along as I can to seem smart or something. I don't just you know, start a sentence and have no idea where it's going and just kind of hope to find it along the way. All right. So there, there's a reason that I said folly is produced out of a refusal to, get this, out of, out of a refusal to genuinely seek and submit to God. Genuineness is key because there are people who feign spiritual maturity. That is, they pretend to be seeking God because they know that that's what they should be doing, when really there is no submission to God in their life, or to anyone for that matter, except the whims and the desires of their own selfish heart. Only. The way to discern whether someone is truly pursuing wisdom is not simply to take their word for it when they say that they are seeking God. Humility or a lack thereof will be a dead giveaway. Psalm 14.1 says, stay with me, Psalm 14.1 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now, saying something in your heart and saying something out loud are two totally different things, aren't they? I'm, I'm glad for that, in one sense. <laughs> but in this context, and what we're talking about, um, it, it's possible to say 
to verbalize a lot of spiritual-sounding mumbo-jumbo out loud and have a wicked and idolatrous heart that wants nothing to do with the Lordship of Christ. So, so please understand me right when I say that, that folly refuses to seek and submit to God. Sometimes, especially, especially for church folk, folly can be very covert. Proverbs 17, 28 says, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise when he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Are you tracking with that mentality? A fool might know they're a fool, but not want anyone else to know. And so if they keep their mouth shut, then that is the best defense against their folly being uncovered. Okay. So that's that's the that's the heart. Folly, if you will. It's a refusal to genuinely seek and submit to God. Someone who is wise and who is or who is growing in, in wisdom will be humble and they will demonstrate their humility like Solomon by seeking the help of God, right? And by admitting that uh, left to their own best judgment. They'll get themselves into trouble and thus doing their very best not just to seek out knowledge in Scripture, but to view Scripture rightly as the words of God and to surrender their life to Him. See, to, to, to submit to God is very simple. To submit to God is to recognize that God is God and that you are not. To submit to God is to recognize that God is God and that you are not. And that because of the great chasm between the all-knowing and all-seeing God and the finite, blind, weak us, okay, that we should really listen intently to what he has to say to us and strive to actually get this, okay? Strive to actually obey him. Right? Obey him because he knows what is good and right for us so much better than we ever could. Amen? God made us. He designed us. The, the wise person is humble enough to see that and to submit to the only one who deserves their full submission. That is their creator, God. But not so with the fool. And that's what Proverbs says. Not so with the fool. A fool cannot imagine submitting to any authority other than themselves. And just like we saw in Proverbs 1, 1 through 6, where, where Solomon kind of he teases apart wisdom and, and shows us its, its multiple 
facets. He, he does the same for folly. And so while we've already touched on some of this, listen to what Proverbs 1, verse 22 says. It says, How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? And fools hate knowledge. So in this verse, what we see is that Proverbs identifies three main fools. The scoffer, the simple, and the stubborn. The scoffer, the simple, and the stubborn. Now, don't get me wrong. <laughs> these, these three, uh, they work themselves out into a lot of other manifestations. Right? Proverbs talks about the sluggard. Okay. Proverbs talks about the wicked and so forth, right? But I think that these three, the scoffer, the simple, and the stubborn, are foundational. They're, they're the foundational place to start when it comes to understanding someone who is not wise, but characterized rather by folly. So let's, let's run through these three, okay? Let's start with the scoffer, because Proverbs uh, just kind of goes right ahead and defines that one. For us, okay. Proverbs twenty one twenty four says, "Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride." So that's that's pretty clear, right? Um, a, a scoffer is someone who is wise in their own eyes. You heard that biblical language? A scoffer is someone who is wise in their own eyes. And not only does a scoffer um, not see a need to seek out the help of God and his word and the counsel of other godly people, but they actually mock the prospect of anyone being able to tell them anything that they don't already know. Scoffers are, um, let me see if I can say this culturally, scoffers are eye-rolling know-it-all. One-uppers. Somebody likes a one-upper. They tend to, to view themselves as the most knowledgeable person in the room, no matter what room they're in. This is the, the arrogance factor, right? Now, the word haughty, it's an interesting not haughty like you know, the kids say. Um, it's a different haughty. Um, <laughs> yeah, haughty carries the, the connotation of exalting oneself and, and always looking down on others with disdain or scorn. Okay. Friends, in the age of the internet, where every web page has a comment section, what we see on display is that scoffers abound, don't they? The scoffers abound. You can test this. Just say literally anything online, and someone will be sure to help you out by coming along and letting you know that they know better than you do. Our culture has bred among the general population, a cynical attitude and the mantra that everyone is stupid except for me. So, uh, 
it should go without saying that the habitual, this habitual <coughs> scoffing is incompatible with the Christian worldview. That's right. It's incompatible with the biblical worldview because we aim to be in a, a continual position of submission before God, right? Christians ought to be the most humble of all people who are slow to speak, quick to listen, who, who strive to outdo others in showing honor, always attentive to, to God's words as well as the words of others who, who might be able to come along and, and provide some, some insight that they lack, right? You see, um, in God's word, we, we know, I don't know if you're this far in your Bible reading plan yet, but we know that at a certain point in Numbers 22, God chooses to speak to a man named Balaam through a donkey. I love the God. That passage exposes that it is possible for humans to be more contemptible, stubborn beasts than donkeys. And thus, if you are prone to mockery and scoffing, then you might just make a fool out of yourself and miss something important. You never know what God may teach you through unexpected encounters. And so the wise person, the wise person will, in humility, pay attention, whereas the scoffer will be quick to dismiss others based on appearances. Okay, that's the scholar. The, the next fool that we see in Proverbs is the, the, the simple, okay? Uh, Proverbs 14, 15 says this, The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. So uh, where the scoffer tends to think that they can see through everything, the simple gives very little critical thought to anything. You see, uh, just because we are Christians and we're called to be humble, uh, it does not mean that we're called to be gullible. Those two are not the same, are they? The simple take the, the ideologies and the assertions of the world as truth without question. Both lines in and uh, by way of illustration, if, if you're old enough to have lived through, you know, this thing called an, an election cycle or two, um, what you have seen is that there are people in positions of power and influence who will make confident assertions about all manner of things with lots of bravado and charisma only to find out later that these were just their talking points, and those things that they were claiming as gospel truth were either not so true or not nearly as important as they wanted you to believe a few weeks or months prior. I often tell people that I'm not a conspiracy theorist because I don't have time for it. But friends, as readers of the Bible, we have seen that broken people are capable of great sin and great deception. And so as believers, people who desire to be wise 
We do not believe everything that we hear in the news or on social media. And to be clear, I always want to say this in case you might be confused about where I stand. I mean that we don't believe everything we hear on Fox News or CNN. Okay? If you're wondering where I fit into this picture. Like, I'm, I'm somewhere else, okay? Like, I've got, I've got my mind on a different kingdom, friends. Uh, I'm not saying that we shouldn't strive to be informed and up-to-date about what's happening in the world. We should, but church, when we reach to check the news in the morning, the first news we should be checking is the good news. Amen. Okay, that was a little corny, I know. <laughs> I'm thankful for the from friends who gave me an amen. But, but guys, if, if you don't want to be simple and misled by the world, then you need to be spending time primarily with the one who is sovereign over the events of the world. That is Jesus in the Bible. Jesus tells his disciples to be wise as serpents, but innocent as doves. That is meek, gentle, but shrewd. Where the world is full of sinful people with critical hearts and undiscerning minds, as God's people, we're called to have something radically different. Humble hearts, but critical minds. Humble hearts and critical minds. The world is full of people that have the worst combination of traits. Ignorance and arrogance. That's folly. That's folly. We are to be informed, but humble. Okay. All right, so we talked about the scoffer. We've now talked about the simple. And finally, we see the stubborn. Proverbs 122 again says, How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? And fools hate knowledge. This last piece is the idea of being obstinate. Okay? Have you ever seen someone unwilling to change course, even when it is so apparent that the decisions that they are making are terrible for them and for those around them? That's stubborn. Stubborn. Proverbs 14, 16 says, one who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. Proverbs 22, 3 says, The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. So, so this one really exposes the absurdity of folly, doesn't it? Because a fool is wise in their own eyes, they might be like 
a walking train wreck. But they can't see it. Right? Proverbs 17.10 says, A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. You see, God has wired pain into the universe to, to often be a result of foolish living. But just as often, it's like foolish people are not picking up on that. Right? Like, th their spiritual senses are, are dead to it. The, the thought never occurs to them that maybe the way that I'm living and the choices that I'm making are the reason that I struggle so much in life. Let's be cultural again. Foolish people have a really hard time singing with Taylor Swift, right? Hi, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. This, this shouldn't be an issue for Christians, though. We, we know we are sinners. And that we tend to be our own worst enemy in life. When we, when we take matters into our own hands and pridefully think that, that we can handle ourselves and we can handle our circumstances without God, without the help of trusted friends, we blow it, right? That's a recipe for blowing it. Okay. A stubborn fool does not get this. But this is fundamental to the wise and believing person. That's, that's one of the first things that we realize when we're saved, is that sin makes us blind and stupid. So we all need, I mean, we need God to open our eyes and enlighten our hearts with a right understanding of who he is, who we are, and the wisdom of how to live within the framework of his good and gracious design for us so that we can stop, so that we can stop making a mess of our finances and our relationships and everything that we touch. Yeah. And so that we can start flourishing instead. Yeah. Renowned biblical author Ed Welch, or sorry, biblical counselor Ed Welch says this. He says, The fool's attention wanders, never focused on music. He ignores all consequences. He is persuaded that his way is the right way. So there's no reason to listen to others. He thinks he'll always get away with it, but he will be exposed. He goes with his feelings, not realizing that they can mislead. Of course, the fool feels the consequences of his behavior at times, and he might even have glimpses into how he has brought pain on others. But consequences are no deterrent. The destructive pattern is repeated because folly is enjoyed. Hashtag ouch. Things, right? So well, let me begin to, to kind of wrap this up here. Um, hopefully, hopefully, 
I have sufficiently helped you to see that wisdom is what you want. Wisdom is what you want. And folly should be avoiding at all costs. And so if you're, if you're here today and you're thinking, man, okay, that one kind of stone. Okay, but, but I need to get some foolishness eradicated from my life. First of all, I would say this. If that's where you're at, I would say this. Listen, I have been there. And in no way do I say any of what I have said today in a prideful way. I, I want to confess before my church family um, that, I, I don't know if you know this, but I, I'm a recovering fool. Okay? Um, and without the Lord's gracious help, I can be right back down in folly. Okay. So, so please don't walk out of here today thinking, well, who does he think he is? Friend, I'm nobody. I'm nobody. I'm a previously broken, very simple, very foolish man who got radically saved with the gospel. And that, that's me. And so here's my agenda today. My, I do have it. I do have it. Okay? My, my MO. Okay? It's, it's Proverbs 24, 11. It says, rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. Friend, I got into this pastoring, teaching the Bible to help people exactly like me before Christ. Proverbs 4.19 says, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. That was me. That was me. Okay. And so, I'm going to be sorry. This is important. If you're here today, for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit's doing something, right? Prodding your heart, urging you to, to get wisdom. Okay, so let me just read something to you. I hope it's helpful. In Matthew 7, Jesus has, has finished up his most iconic sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and, and, and listen to what he says. <clears throat> he says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Listen, if you have been living like a fool, the wisest thing you could do today would be to repent and stop following Jesus. If you've been living like a fool, the wisest thing you could do today is to repent 
and start following Jesus. Don't try. I've tried this. Don't try to fake it till you make it spiritually and wind up building your house on sand. Okay? Come to Jesus and build your life on a solid rock foundation. I'll never forget a few years back when Hurricane Michael came through the panhandle. It was coming right for us. Here, here, it's like that thing's going to hit personally, right? But the last minute it shifted and it hit a little further to the east. It made landfall in a little town called Mexico Beach. We took a team over there on Thanksgiving Day to serve meals to people who had been affected, and it was, it was crazy. Some of you were there. It's crazy. It, it looked like a war zone. Tons of beautiful two and three story beachfront homes just ravaged, demolished, and washed away into the ocean. It doesn't matter how beautiful or successful you are trying to make your life. If you will not come to Jesus, you're being a fool. Building everything that you have on sand. And just like all of us native Floridians know, it's only a matter of time before that Cat 5 hurricane hits your neighborhood. Don't get woken up in the middle of the night by God saying, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. Don't find out here. Get wisdom. Don't wait. The way to start is by coming to Jesus, the Son of God. He lived for you, the perfectly wise, never foolish life. He died for you to pay for all of your sin and folly on the cross, and he rose again to prove to you that he can be your Savior. Yes, even yours, even mine, and he's totally worthy of all your trust and all your submission. And he will lead you in paths of wisdom and righteousness so that your life will flourish. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal, she cries aloud, To you, O men, I call. And my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things. And from my lips will come what is right, for my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. 
Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Don't be a fool. This news is too good for you to pass by. Come to Jesus. Have all of your sin and your folly forgiven. Build your life on the rock of the gospel and be wise. Be wise. Well, this time we're going to conclude our service with the Lord's Supper. Um, Jesus gave his church two ordinances to practice as we await his return. Baptism and communion. All right. Baptism is only practiced once, ideally, okay, when we come in to the body of Christ, because uh, baptism is when we have repented of our sins and we've turned to Jesus in faith. When we are submerged in water and, and brought back up, that is a public proclamation that the Holy Spirit has opened our eyes to the gospel and we have been born again, to use biblical language. It, it, baptism is a symbolic showing that we've gone from spiritual death to spiritual life. Okay. The Lord's Supper, or communion, is practiced many times, okay, together with the body of Christ, and it, it too is symbolic. Okay, uh, Jesus told those who were baptized disciples to eat the bread and to drink the juice together in memory of his death. It's a, it's a constant reminder that our hope of eternal life is in the fact that Jesus had his body broken and Jesus had his blood poured out to atone for our sin on the cross. In that way, communion looks backward at the gospel. But it also looks forward as we long for the day that Jesus will come and take us home, making all things new, and we feast together at his dinner table in the kingdom of God. So listen, um, if you are a believer here today, and you're living your life with a clear understanding of the gospel, we invite you to partake of the Lord's Supper this morning. That said, if you are not yet a believer, or perhaps you're in a position today of, of wanting to live your life, you want to make a change, you want to repent, you want to turn to Christ today, you're in this position, you want to submit to the Lord Jesus, instead of coming up to take the Lord's Supper, uh, our elders will be up front today, would love to pray with you talk further with you at a later point about turning to Jesus in faith and becoming a part of the body of Christ with us. We would 
We would love that. We would celebrate that. That's you. Don't, don't shy away. And there's nothing more amazing than when God does that. So I'm going to pray in just a minute. And then if you'd like, come and take communion. Or uh, feel free to come up for prayer if you would like to do that. Or um, if you'd rather just sit and pray in your seat, that is a perfectly acceptable response as well. Okay? Um, particularly, listen to this, particularly if you know, maybe you know you've got some sin in your life that you need to repent of and get straight with God on and get straight with somebody else on, okay? You can always abstain from communion this time because there will always be next time. Unless the floor returns. That, that'd be cool too. Okay? But there will always be until, if he, you know, unless he tears. Okay? But anyway, there's no shame in that. If you um, feel that it's best for you to sit today or um, come master prayer, you want to follow Christ, you can do that as well. Okay? But this is a time uh, really of response, whatever the appropriate response may be for you. So let's pray and then we'll, we'll get to it. Jesus, we thank you for the rugby cross. God, we thankful, we're thankful for the gospel that is uh, the wisdom of God that seems like folly to a world that is perishing. But God, that we know is the message, the beautiful message of reconciliation with God and right standing with God because of your blood that was shed for us and your body that was broken for us, God. We thank you for that gospel. I pray today, God, that not a man or a woman, not a single one in this room would attempt to grow in wisdom apart from the source, the fountain of all divine wisdom, which is Christ. Father, I pray now as we partake of these elements that we would reflect and look back at the death of Christ, thankful for that, sorrowful, yet rejoicing, that we would look forward, longing for the day that we believe, we know, Jesus, you are trustworthy, you are going to return, you are going to take us home, and we will celebrate with you in your kingdom, at your table, feasting and singing forever. Pray that these moments before us will be the moments where we savor that, long for that. We love you, boy. It's in Jesus' name.